Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, uh, Jeff Bilbro, is the author of Reading the Times, a literary and theological inquiry into the news. He's associate professor of English at Grove City College and editor-in-chief at Front Porch Republic. You can visit him at jeffbilbro, B-I-L-B-R-O dot com, and follow him on Twitter at jeff-bilbro. Well, Jeff, good to make your acquaintance. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on this afternoon. One of the things that, one of the points that you make, which I think is just undeniable, and that is that uh, our preoccupation with the news under the guise that we need more information ignores the fact that the news doesn't merely inform, it also forms. Uh, it, it, It forms who we are. It affects our desires our sense of community, but I'll let you start to unpack that. Uh, We're not just informed by the news, we're formed by the stories, by the images, by the language that's used. Pick it up from there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dimensions to that kind of formation that happens, but as you say, just recognizing that and being more attentive to that reality is a good good first uh, place to begin. Um, but, but certainly one of the one of the dimensions to the ways in which uh, being bombarded with information all the time forms us, I think, is that it predisposes us to invest more of our emotional energies on the things that are mediated to us through our screens or um, newspaper, the TV, rather than uh, things that might be happening closer to hand. Um, which don't seem as important because they're not part of the information flow, mm-hmm. but are often things that we can uh, we have more opportunities to responsibly uh, get involved with and, and actually do something about, rather than just uh, being worked up and uh, angry or outraged or something over a distant drama that, oh. that actually at the end of the day, doesn't affect us very much. I mean, a lot of attention is paid to, quote, national news or the national conversation, the national debate, and what's being ignored are the local, oftentimes the local issues that really can affect you, uh, putting in uh, sewer systems. I mean, <laughs> there are right. different kinds of, uh, you know, millages uh, for schools, and um, I, it seems to me that the idea of that, you know, the local newspaper has has gone gone away. Yeah, and that's a sad loss. And I, you know, there are some encouraging uh, organizations or people trying to remedy that fact. But in general, it's a it's a pretty grim story that local papers and those kinds of uh, you know local reporters who are paid to actually be the eyes and ears of a particular community uh, those those become more scarce, and that's a real loss. And, you know, the Catholic Church has a great understanding of the, the concept of subsidiarity. And I yeah. think this is just a, a species of that tr- truth, that we should uh, direct our attention uh, when appropriate to uh, to the most local sphere where we can uh, be most involved. You know, I, it's, I've been doing a program like similar to what I'm doing now since 1987, and I've, I've had to think a lot about this very this very thing because on the one hand I've always been uh, on air uh, as an active Christian trying to think through these things and 
it is sometimes very frustrating because the things that make for good headlines are often on the surface uh, of life, you know, mm. and they distract yeah. us from those slower, impalpable, imponderable moments that work below the surface and uh, penetrate into the depths. And it's uh, how to move from that uh, the shiny object in front of you <laughs> to what uh, uh, God is doing for eternity uh, within you is difficult. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think it's not necessarily a new problem. I mean, one way to talk about that is the, the distinction between the vice of curiosity and the virtue of studiosity. Hmm. And then there's the two different appetites for um, knowledge. And this crops up in St. Augustine and, and other early Christian writers um, that sometimes our desire to know things is, is just a desire to be titillated or amused or entertained and that's often superficial, uh, but there's a different appetite for knowledge that we can cultivate that is, as you're saying, more uh, more key to things that are of lasting value, but in our news and media environment, um, you know, what's, what's superficially interesting is what gets clicks and draws eyeballs, yeah. and, and so those are the kinds of stories that spread uh, and seem to captivate our collective attention. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things you hear is that you know, I, in order to be active, I have to be informed. You you uh, looked to well respected activists, uh, Dorothy Day and, and Frederick Douglass, who certainly um, you know wanted people to be informed. They had movements that they were uh, shepherding. Uh, what can we learn from them? Yeah, I think both of those, especially one of the things that struck me as I, as I thought about their example, is that both of them were very much rooted in particular embodied communities. Um, you know, for, for Frederick Douglass, it was his African-American abolitionist community um, that, that he lived with, and uh, he would travel to different um, chapters and speak, and he very much saw himself writing this, his, his various papers or editing his various papers um, for that community as a way of kind of talking to that community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, he gained a more national audience as well, but he still um, understood himself as part of that smaller community. Yeah. And, and in Day is an even starker example because, um, you know, she lived with uh, poor people in her various, you know, in Catholic worker houses and was very much committed to this notion of solidarity and um, communal living. And uh, the Catholic worker was was the, the voice of a particular community. And I think linking lived, embodied community with, um, with the news is a really important to move because it, it helps us filter out the things that might be of interest to somebody from the things that are of interest to a particular community. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is a really helpful kind of filter that, that kind of narrows our focus and helps us to go deeper and um, maybe just pass by a lot of the things that we might otherwise feel obliged to know about, but uh, actually they're, they're not our responsibility. So sometimes uh, knowing more and thinking more about less is a more productive way of making um, 
a lasting difference in our communities. You also point out uh, the relationship between what we give our attention to and what we worship. Can you flesh that out for me? Yeah, so I think, you know, Christians get this intuitively, that we have to kind of uh, focus our attention through liturgies or daily prayers or sacred art. Um, So we understand this uh, on one level, but sometimes I think we don't then translate that to the rest of our lives and recognize that the ways that we spend our attention throughout the day uh, equally form us. And uh, the the root of the word attention, I think, is interesting because it it comes from this word uh, that that we also get words like tension or tune or tend, and it just means to stretch. Hmm. Um, So when we attend to something, we stretch toward it. And in that image, I think, carries this idea that we are actually changed by what we attend to. We're drawn toward it and and it kind of stretches us either in good ways or bad ways. And so when we're uh, attending to trivia or things that, that are superficially interesting but not of much lasting import, then it actually warps our souls. Um, you know, so, so a rightly formed attention is a, a way of worshiping and of meditating on eternal things, while uh, poorly directed attention is a kind of idolatry, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we can uh, profane ourselves uh, by being yeah. preoccupied uh, with the trivial. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? I want to just spend a little more time on this. What do you mean by liturgies of time? Yeah, so one of the, the things I got to explore in this book was kind of wrestling with um, a Christian theology of time. And it's complicated because Christians are kind of caught between two different modes of keeping time. On the one hand, we do inhabit a chronological, historical world mm-hmm. where events sequentially occur, and uh, you know people were, were, were born and live and die. Uh, there's human history, and that's a, a real dimension of time, and we think, you know, uh, Christ was incarnate in history. But on the other hand, um, God is outside of time, and uh, there are these sort of patterns of time. The the Greeks call it uh, kairos time. Time as uh, opportunity, the right time to do something. So we might think about it in terms of seasonal time, you know, the right time to plant a crop or to harvest something or uh, to shovel my snow (laughs) this time of year. Or in, in... Religious terms, we might think about it uh, as the the church calendar and mm-hmm. the various seasons of you know Lent and Passion Week and Easter, etc. Um, so it's kind of a, a dramatic time, time where action, and, and that time is not really sequential. Um, and so one of the tensions I think is in our day when we're so keyed into the twenty four seven news cycle, we can really overemphasize and overprivilege. Uh, chronological historical time, and that uh, there's a lot of different ways I think that can um, be problematic and can cause problems for Christians. Mm-hmm. But what I tried to think about was what are some Christians, uh, some ways of imagining time that can helpfully connect these two and, and hold them in the proper tension. Uh, and so I like a little bit at the Old Testament prophets, 
who are continually speaking from God's revealed word, um, in, you know, the Torah, and, and and how that might apply to this particular historical, political, sociological moment for the people of Israel. Uh, I look at Dante and how he does, he, he imagines, um, you know, the, the, the eternal drama of God's work applying to his particular moment uh, in Italy and Florence. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think, you know, there are different ways that we can kind of attune ourselves to inhabit these times in a Christian way. And one is to um, yeah, think about artists like Dante, who show us how these can be connected healthily. Uh, and another way is to maybe live into the church calendar and liturgical rhythms more as a way of counterbalancing, I guess, our culture's overemphasis on chronological time. Uh, one of the effects of which is to make us uh, pay probably too much attention to the daily news as the latest report on where history is headed, yeah. <laughs> uh, rather than put it, put it in the context of God's ongoing work in the world. Right, right. Well, let me thank you very much for being with me today, Jeff. I'd love to have you back sometime. We can go over this, the, the effect this has on building community and uh, creating you know, virtual, so-called virtual community. But I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Yes, thanks for your good work. <laughs> Thank you. Jeffrey Bilbro, the book is called Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. It's really a very rich uh, volume, uh, well thought through, about 175 pages.